Paul says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That's a high calling and a gift to serve as an ambassador for Christ. Everyone who can hear my words has the opportunity to serve as an ambassador to Christ. If you have entered into a relationship with Jesus, you are in this broad family of ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is a high-ranking diplomatic agent to a foreign government as the resident representative of his or her own government. What this means for Christ followers is that we are resident representatives for Christ and his kingdom. When non-believers and people of other faith traditions come in contact with us, they should feel like they are coming in contact with Christ and his kingdom, both in our in-person interactions as well as our online interactions. We are to represent Christ to those around us. As I was preparing for this morning, I felt inadequate for this high calling of serving as an ambassador for Christ. You and I were chosen by Christ to serve as his representatives. Kingdom people, we are bringing God's kingdom to those around us. I felt inadequate because I didn't fully understand what it meant to be an ambassador for Christ. Yes, an ambassador represents the kingdom he or she is sent by, but the ambassador themselves, we do not have any authority or power on our own. All authority is given by God, and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve in this grand calling that we were given. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve well. So although you and I are truly inadequate on our own to serve as Christ's ambassadors, we are more than enough when we rely on the Holy Spirit working in and through us. We move, when we, when we rest in this truth that the Holy Spirit is working through us in all that we do, we move from an egocentric inadequacy or insufficiency to a Christocentric Christ working in and through all of our actions, feeling of sufficiency. So before I lived in Lafayette, my family and I lived in Chicago. I was a Chicago resident for 10 years. And as soon as I moved to Chicago, it was clear to me very quickly that I was made for Chicago driving. So you may hear this and cringe a little bit at the thought of driving through the city of Chicago, but for me, it's an energizing idea. I am truly energized by the idea. I enjoyed my day-to-day commute. Yes, some days were slow in bumper-to-bumper traffic, but other days were fast-moving, energizing, weaving in and out of the spaces and traffic, threading. I, I felt like I was part of the Blue Angels special driving team in Chicago, threading my little red Ford Escort in and out of traffic as I made my way from point A to point B. I was born for Chicago driving. While I was at North Park University, I was given uh, the honor to serve as a North Park University student ambassador. I was part of this elite team of students that represented the university uh, to prospective students and their families. We were trained and coached to help us represent the university well as ambassadors for the university. 
We learned the art of walking backwards on tours without falling. We learned all the ins and outs about the history of the buildings and the history of the campus in Chicago and the educational programs that we were taught how to care for families and share our deep love for North Park University. We truly were serving as ambassadors for the university. In addition to my role on this elite team, I was, so I led tours, I made phone calls, but I was also the official transportation coordinator for all on-campus visits. So any family or student that came to the train station or the airport, I was in charge of coordinating. I would either go myself to pick them up or find a fellow ambassador to do the job. As I've shared in previous sermons, I love driving, and I just shared with you, I'm made for Chicago driving, so I found myself taking the majority of the transportation runs myself. <clears throat> because I was a master of driving, I learned Chicago airports really well, and so I just I took the jobs myself. And for some reason or another, North Park University didn't want me to drive my 1994 red Ford Escort to go pick up families. I'm not qu quite sure why. But another perk of the job was I got to drive an almost brand new Ford Fusion to go pick up these families. When you go from a 1994 Ford Escort to a Ford Fusion, it's a massive upgrade. And it highly elevated my Blue Angels-like skills. <laughs> However, even though I was an incredibly skilled driver, knowing the size of my car and where it would fit and how to navigate the traffic, other people on the road were not always as enthusiastic about my skills. I have to imagine they were just jealous of my supreme skills, but nonetheless, they shared their concerns. You see, as a North Park student ambassador, the cars I drove had the contact information from my embassy, both on the doors and the tailgate. So phone calls were made, and I found myself in the office of Gordana in the physical plant offices to talk about her concerns with my driving. Gordana and I had a great relationship, so it wasn't a terribly difficult conversation to have, but it was a good reminder that when I am driving North Park University vehicles, I am an extension of the organization, serving as an ambassador. So although the space may be large enough for me to weave in and out, sometimes it may be better to stay in my lane. Likewise, we are an extension of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God of God. Not only when we are driving the church van with the ECC logo on the side or our church ECC shirts, we are always representing Christ, serving as ambassadors of Christ in our community. This is a high calling and a wonderful responsibility that we are blessed with. We are blessed with the ability to share the love of Christ with those around us. Although sometimes we may feel inadequate, or less than, we are called and truly gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve in this capacity. I love the fact that today's text in 2 Corinthians came from Paul. So Paul is reminding the church in Corinth of this high calling as ambassadors of Christ. Paul, formerly known as Saul, was not always the ideal ambassador for the kingdom of God. He was actually probably almost as far from the ideal ambassador as someone could be. Paul, uh, formerly Saul, was adamantly against uh, the church. 
he was adamantly against Christ's followers. He was a loud and aggressive voice seeking to persecute the church and shut it down. In Acts chapter 8, we read, But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Not your ideal ambassador. Or in Acts chapter 26, Paul says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that is just what he did. You see, the reason I love that Paul is the person that God chose to speak this message into the church in Corinth and into the church at large is because previously Paul was so far from the ideal ambassador. We have relationships in life, friends and relatives that may not have a relationship with Christ, but I have yet to meet someone who wasn't in a relationship with Christ that was so adamantly opposed to the church as Paul was. He was doing all uh, all that was possible to him to oppose the name of Jesus. So although we may have friends and acquaintances not yet in a relationship with Christ, I'm confident that God can use you and I to bring people into relationship with Jesus. I have this strong confidence because I know who we represent and who we are ambassadors for. If Jesus can meet Paul on the road to Damascus and bring reconciliation between Jesus and his followers and Saul, I'm confident he can do it again. You see, Paul provides us with his testimony being so opposed to Christ, yet still eventually being reconciled to Christ and serving as one of his most premier ambassadors of the time. In today's text, Paul reminds us that as Christ's ambassadors, our primary job is to join in the ministry of reconciliation. When we were discussing reconciliation as a staff a few weeks ago, because we're reading ahead in the book, someone on staff asked, I don't understand why reconciliation is a community concept. It seems like it's more of an individual concept. I don't understand the community aspect. This comment in question kind of launched us into a rich dialogue about the potential impact that individual reconciliation can have on a community and make it become more of a reconciling community. You see, I believe as ambassadors of Christ, we are called to see the world and those around us through Christ's perspective. The work of reconciliation is possible Because God has given us the premier example through his son, Jesus Christ. Throughout Jesus' ministry, we see him showing the disciples and those around him the way toward reconciliation and the power of reconciliation. Then Paul reminds us today that all of this reconciliation is possible. He said all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a story to help us understand more fully the ripple effect of reconciliation. So Peter comes to Jesus and asks him, how many times do I have to forgive my brothers and my sisters who sin against me? And Jesus responds as he commonly does with a story. And he tells a story about this king that's seeking to reconcile accounts with his fellow servants. So people that owe him money. And he continues... The king is face to face with a servant who owes him 10,000 bags of gold, just an exorbitant amount of money. 
and the servant doesn't have the resource to pay that amount to the king. And so the king, in turn, says, well, I need to sell you and your family and all of your possessions so that you can pay off the debt that you owe me. The servant falls to his knees and pleads with the king, please have mercy and patience with me. The king forgives the debt to this man and sends him on his way. So the man leaves the king's presence, and as soon as he gets outside of the kingdom, he's face to face with a fellow servant who owes him money. This servant owes him a hundred bags of silver. Like the king, he demands repayment in full from his fellow servant. And like he originally, the servant says, I don't have the resource to pay the debt that you are owed, that I owe to you. And so this is where the story doesn't mirror itself again. Unlike the king forgiving the debt, he held firm to the debt that was owed to him of a hundred bags of silver and had the man and his family thrown into prison until the debt could be paid in full. I cringe when I hear this story because of the, the stark contrast between how he was treated and then how he in turn treated others. And others in the community were seeing what had just happened and went to the king and said, you won't believe what just happened. You, just, you forgave this massive debt. He went out and didn't forgive a much smaller debt. And the king was frustrated by this. And he took the original debt and reinstated the debt and had the man thrown in prison and said, you wicked servant, uh, you will pay the debt in full. Jesus concludes the story. He says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers or sisters from your heart. You see, the story that Jesus tells is a beautiful example of how reconciliation in one place could have a cyclical and rippling effect throughout the whole community. If instead the story continued to mirror itself where the king forgave the debt of the servant and then he in turn forgave the debt and then he again forgave the debt, the, the continued ripple could transform the whole community. But for that transformation to happen, the story has to continue to mirror that original story of the king. For there to be systemic change, we have to look to Jesus every time to be the example of how we seek to be authentic ambassadors who are representing Jesus' original story. Ambassadors who seek to reconcile relationships when they are broken. In the good and beautiful community, James Bryan Smith says, the only way we can forgive is by letting God re-narrate our lives in context of the meta-narrative of Jesus who forgave his enemies and even died for them. This will lead to healing, the healing of ourselves, which is necessary if we are going to forgive someone who has hurt us. The king in the story that Jesus is telling is God forgiving our sins. God forgave us so that we in turn can forgive others. We say this every time we take communion or every time we recite the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins so that we in turn can forgive those who sin against us. When we follow the lead of God in forgiving our brothers and sisters, we are creating a movement of Christ-centered transformation in our communities. 
that change leads to more change. And with each ripple, we continue to see the kingdom of God just a little more clearly. This is the core to our identity here at ECC in the touchstone of presence. We are sent into the world as agents of change and redemption. Or put in context of today's message, we are Christ's ambassadors in the world serving as agents of change and redemption. I was blessed earlier this spring to lead a 10-week book study during the months of February through April. I was joined on Zoom every Wednesday night by 20 ECC friends, as well as a new friend from Georgia, Mamie, as we reflected and discussed Latasha Morrison's book, Be the Bridge. In her book, Latasha reflects on this 2 Corinthians passage. She talks about how individual acts of restorative reconciliation are powerful. But she said, know this, Jesus didn't just come to restore individual people. He came to break down systems of oppression, to provide a way for his kingdom to appear on earth as it is in heaven. He came so that we, his followers, could partner with him in restoring the integrity and justice to the broken systems, broken governments, and ultimately broken relationships. You see, the ministry of reconciliation that Jesus invites us into and Paul reminds us of in today's text is focused first and foremost on our relationship with Jesus. It's important that we're grounded in our relationship with our Redeemer and Savior, Savior, Jesus Christ. It's important that we understand how much we have been forgiven by Christ. However, reconciliation for Paul is both vertical and horizontal. The vertical aspects of reconciliation deal primarily with our relationship with God and Jesus, and the horizontal relationships address the hostility between people. In Paul's context, it was speaking a bit to the divisions and the disunity between the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul is reminding his audience that Jesus, who is present in us, is also present in our brothers and sisters. So unless we are reconciled and ever reconciling with our sisters and our brothers, it's hard for us to be fully reconciled to Jesus. Paul reminds us, saying, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. It's common for Paul to reflect on this truth as he writes in a number of his letters. He reiterates that once, truly, yes, once we were only of the flesh, but now we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And if Christ is in us, we are one in the Spirit in our relationships with one another, reflect our relationship with Christ. Each of these communities that Paul wrote to were wrought with conflict and disunity and disagreement that needed to be reconciled. You see, when you bring people together into community, there will be conflict and disagreement. Paul knew this, we know this. So we need to reflect on what we are being called to as ambassadors of Christ and ministers of reconciliation. You see, for me, it's way easier to be reconciled to Christ vertically because Christ is perfect. 
Whereas the Christ that lives in me and in you is lived out through our imperfect behaviors. The Christ that lives in us is perfect, yes, but even with our best intentions, our behaviors don't always align with what Christ would desire for you and for I, for myself. We may have good intentions, but we fall short of the glory of God. If it weren't for Christ's redemptive and reconciling work on the cross, ever reconciling work, we would not have as much hope or any hope. But because of God's love for us, we have all the hope that we need. Because of the gospel message, we have all the motivation we need to become a truly reconciling people. Paul provides a concise summary of the gospel message in the last verse of today's text. Verse 21 reads, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in Jesus we might become truly Christ's ambassadors, bringing about the reconciliation in our communities. Theologian Miroslav Wolf explains that Christ forgives through us. He provides us with the pattern of forgiveness and the power for forgiveness through his Holy Spirit. You see, we are Christ's ambassadors. We are the resident representatives of the kingdom of God. And we have been given the perfect example of how to serve faithfully in this role in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Our main task as ambassadors of Christ is to absolve some of the tensions that exist, to bring reconciliation to the world and thereby establish peace. There are tensions that exist when we are not in right relationship with Jesus vertically, and there are tensions that exist when we are not in right relationship with one another. And Paul saw a lot of this division in the church Vertic- or horizontally over little things like the way ministry was done and bigger things on the way people behaved towards one another. And he was calling the church and is still calling the church back to our unifying identity as Christ's ambassadors. Today we see in our world divisions and tensions and disunity and we are called to be agents of change and redemption an effort to bring about Christ's shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word meaning peace, but even more than that, it means wholeness, completeness, and prosperity amongst the whole of our community. So how do we go about the ministry of reconciliation? I think one of the first steps is to name where reconciliation is needed. Maybe a relationship comes to mind where you need to extend or ask for forgiveness. Or maybe someone comes to mind and a face comes to memory of someone that you need to help guide into a life-saving relationship with Jesus. I pray that as the Spirit brings these names and these faces to your mind and to my mind, that we would be faithful that we'd be willing to seek the Holy Spirit's guidance and enter into the ministry of reconciliation today. 
our God is faithful to us and we seek to be faithful in return. If God is bringing someone to mind, it is my prayer that we all would step boldly into those conversations. That we would seek to mirror, to represent Christ's example and welcome each other into the glorious presence and peace of Christ. Let us pray. God, I thank you for your faithful example through your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the high calling that you have put upon us, your sons and daughters, to serve faithfully as your ambassadors, bringing reconciliation to our communities, bringing reconciliation between people and a relationship with you, and bringing reconciliation between our relationships, our human relationships as well, Lord. I pray that you would encourage us, that you would sustain us, and that you uh, would empower us through your Holy Spirit to take these next steps toward becoming a truly reconciling community. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.